0: Hello and welcome to the Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams.
1: And me, Ellie Betts.
0: Each week we're here to help you persevere through the tough times, be your most productive self and get that work in progress published.
1: Wherever you are in your publishing journey, we've got your back.
0: Today we're speaking to Becca Syme about author Burnout.
1: Big shout out to our podcast patrons for all of your support.
0: As a patron, you'll get early access to episodes, the chance to submit questions for our guests and access to our bonus series, Healthy Habits.
1: Healthy Habits isn't your typical productivity advice. We're not here to tell you to get up at 4am and go for a three hour run.
0: Hell no. We're exploring the latest research to find small changes you can make in your life to be happier, healthier and more productive in your writing life and beyond.
1: To start developing healthier habits today, Come join our community at patreon.com forward slash writer's mindset.
0: Today, our guest is the lovely Becca Simon talking about a very important topic, which is author burnout. Welcome to the Writer's Mindset.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Um, I I will say I love talking about burnout. I hate that we have to talk about it.
0: Oh yeah.
2: But oh I do yeah. Love talking about it. Yeah. It's, it's sort of painful, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So before we get ahead of ourselves, can you just explain to our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do, please? Yeah. I am primarily what's called a success coach. Um, and
2: as a fiction author, um, started coaching some of my friends and then started coaching authors. Um, and now I think we're 16 or 17 years in, Um, And about seven years into coaching authors have coached 5,700 plus individual authors um, at this point and then have done, I mean, I would say a full third of my coaching at this point is uh, burnout,
0: essentially. Wow. Although actually, I'm not that surprised because nearly every new, not new author, author I haven't spoken to before that I end up talking to, has either burnt out at some point or come extremely close to it yeah yep yep I agree it's such a horrible pattern
2: yeah it really is and some of it is um the industry itself sort of produces that um some of it is you know systemic and environmental and all these other things right like what's going on in the world um some of it is that um, but yeah, some of it is really just the industry is not friendly toward people who set boundaries for themselves, which is unfortunate, but
1: yeah. So cool, but we, we can change that slowly but surely, mm-hmm. hopefully. <laughs> um, I hope so. I hope so too. <laughs> Regarding yourself then, you um, have the books, um, sorry, you have QuickBooks and quit cast. How did mm-hmm. the idea for those come about? Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, and actually, it plays into burnout a little bit. Because um, when I first started, I uh, I had gone through major burnout in my professional career as a, as a coach, and I was a nonprofit executive at the time. Um, and I saw like, when you go through burnout, you realize that not everything you think you're supposed to do is worth doing or has to be done. And so the whole kind of philosophy behind my coaching career has always been if there's something that you can quit doing, like if there's something that you're able to quit and it's not gonna make a big enough impact on your life or business that you you should worry about it, then you should quit it. Um, And so when I started writing the very first book, uh, which is Dear Writer, You Need to Quit, I think a lot of people thought I was trying to encourage writers to quit writing, but actually my goal was to try to encourage them to quit almost everything else Um, that they were doing because they were, quote, told they should, um, and because it would, quote, make a difference. And I do use quotes intentionally. Um, Most of the things that we do don't make a difference, but we don't ever evaluate whether they do or not. And so my whole goal was kind of the questioning of the premise of, yeah, you should do that, and you should do that, and you should do that. And I'm like, yeah, but should you? Uh, And that's kind of how that whole philosophy came about.
0: Do you ever find that when you tell authors that they should give up X, Y or Z, that they push back again? Oh, no, no, no. I definitely need to do this thing that Mm -hmm. maybe isn't moving the needle as much as they think it is.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Like people say that all the time. And then I always ask, what makes you think that? Right. Like what is the either who's telling you that? Or what in the industry is making you think that you need to do that? Um, And I think the unfortunate part is that most of what we think we need to do, the only reason we think we need to do it is because other people have said we should be doing it. And we're not actually looking at our own results in terms of like, so the The catchphrase that I always say about your evaluation is if you can't tell whether or not it's making a difference, it's not making a difference. And so a lot of us are just so unaware of what's actually moving the needle for us that we're not really evaluating whether or not things work.
0: Yeah, we're kind of taught a bit of a spray and pray approach sometimes, I think. And I don't know if that's like, come from the corporate world or out of desperation to make it big or a bit of both but I've definitely noticed um authors want to do all the things and I get that I like doing lots of things that's more because I get bored than anything else but I really like when we spoke to Nicholas Eric he said like in his book that you should basically focus on three things and make sure there are things you enjoy doing and that actually make a difference don't like and and channel all your energy into those things because you'll get more right. done and see greater returns.
2: Right. Yeah, I think that's um the that will definitely work for some people in terms of like limiting it that much will definitely work for some people. For some people and you mentioned that like I get bored quickly and so I need to do all these other things. For some people my best advice is just don't keep doing everything that you start. Like quit things very quickly cuz so the the spread of people who need to do that, like only do one thing and do it really great. Like that whole, um, I think there was actually a book that came out that was called One Thing, right? And it was very high focus, like only only pay attention to one thing. The The people who do well with that need to do that. And then the people who don't, but they still need to know to quit stuff quickly. So like, if you are a person who gets bored and tries everything, then you can't also be the person who continues to do everything that you start. Um, So I feel like whichever of those two sides you fall into, one of them needs to be the approach that you take. We can't just indiscriminately keep doing everything that we think is going to move the needle.
1: And one thing you said there in particular is evaluating whether it's working, like stepping back and evaluating. And I don't think I've really done that very much, to be honest with you. I don't think I've really thought about it enough to do that, to have that awareness of each different technique. So that's interesting as well. Yeah, the evaluation
2: process for me um, has to include both my own feelings on the subject, because I think a lot of us have an intuitive sense for what really works for us and what doesn't that we don't pay attention to enough. um, And also some kind of objective measure, right? Like, is it actually making me money? And I know a lot of people um, who are in the nonfiction industry have some really good tools about how to evaluate that stuff. And I think there's some that are readily available, like, uh, you know, picking which of my the places that I'm spending my time are really making an impact on sales, for instance, or on. But I think we don't often enough ask questions about our well-being. Like, is it actually because, like, and I'll just you, I'm not anti TikTok. I personally love TikTok, but TikTok is a great example that's current to you know our 2022 life. Um, it is currently becoming the fad for everyone to try to utilize TikTok as heavily as they can but we're not taking into account how it affects our well-being. So some of us who are not seeing the kind of results that other people are seeing, but we're spending 50, 60, 75% of our time trying to make TikTok work that it's, quote, supposed to work for everyone, um, then we are not actually evaluating the cost to our own self. And then additionally, we're often not evaluating the results that we're getting on it with an objective eye.
1: Definitely, I mean, as a side note, on a smaller scale, I have a TikTok for my cat and the amount of time it takes just to get a little bit of attention on there. And I was just doing it for fun. Like I, I don't really do it to, to get the views necessarily. It was mostly for fun because I like sharing cute videos with my cat and my friends are yes. sick of them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it does take a lot of work. And there are points where like one video would get a little bit of attention. And then I'm trying to manage all that time to reply to people and keep up the content release and stuff like that. So I can imagine if you do that on a bigger scale, like where you're actually trying to make money on TikTok, it must be so draining.
2: Yeah. And for some people, it it doesn't drain them on that level. So they're the ones who are like, listen, this is so amazing and awesome. Or people who are seeing really, really high level results, right, where they might actually be able to hire someone to manage their TikTok accounts for them. And the the difference between people, and this is kind of where my specialty is, right? Is like, I don't believe that there's any one rule that works for everyone. So I don't think there's this magic, like balance of numbers of whatever that you need to do that every single person needs to take into account, because I just haven't seen that to be the case in all of the coaching that I've done. Everyone's differences matter. So we have to also then acknowledge that sometimes those differences make a bigger impact on someone else's outcome than we would like to acknowledge. So like if someone happens to be both good at TikTok, and it feeds them, and then I am not as good at TikTok, and it drains me, we often don't take that into account when we're making the decision about whether we should do it or not. We just hear the rule, right? We're like, oh, well, clearly I should do this thing. And therefore, that means that at whatever cost to my own health and well-being, at whatever cost to my platform, I just need to do this thing. And then Becca comes along and is like, no, you don't. There is no
1: quit it, Quit it.
2: Question <laughs> the premise. Like, quit, quit. And again, like I said, I love TikTok. I use it constantly but i do see a significant number of clients who both do not like are not filled up by and also do not have results with and so i spend a lot of time saying let's question the premise that that i know that person told you you should do it i know it looks like this person is having success but let's just question the premise for you as an individual should you really be doing
0: that so let's say then you've got an author dealing with burnout maybe they do or don't know what would you say are the most unexpected signs of burnout that people don't always consider and is it does it look different for writers compared to people in other creative industries like if you're say an accountant and experiencing burnout
2: so it does if you don't take your work home with you it often does look differently when you have to work from home, which most writers do have to work from home, um, I do think that anyone who works from home, burnout will look slightly different because you can't ever walk away from your um, from your job, essentially. It follows you around in your home. Um, and especially the, a lot of us are physically located. And so our physical location of our work will often find ourselves avoiding that physical location And that's usually a signal of like the trend down into burnout is when you just can't make yourself go around your desk that you have to write at or work at, or you just can't make yourself open the manuscript. And I don't think we take those warning signs as seriously as we should. Like I was having a conversation yesterday with someone and they were like, I can't even, I can't even look at that part of my house without getting dread. And I was like, oh, that's a sign. Like we need to do something about that. And and sometimes the sign of the, what I call like pre-burnout, right? Where we're on the road down into toward the pit. Sometimes those signs are so subtle that if we catch them early, we can really stave off the future burnout. But then we almost always have to fix something about the system. And that's usually what people won't do Because that is often costly or painful. Um, And so they, they usually won't fix those problems, which is fine, because when burnout happens, we can deal with it, we'll recover from it. But, but there's almost always subtle signs that will help us just keep out of that place.
1: It's hard though, I think, because we are in that industry or if it's just that kind of world we live in where people go, why aren't you doing more? Why am I, why am I not doing more? We should be constantly working. So it's, sometimes you just think, well, I don't know about other people, but I suddenly think like, oh, why, why have I not done more of this? Why have I not finished this yet? And then as a result, you, you end up feeling yeah. worse in the long run, don't you?
2: Right. And some of the why haven't I done more is partly because we have expectations that are unrealistic about how the industry itself works or how the market works. Like I always say, what people really want, in terms of if the industry would act the way we all want it to act is that Captain America is in charge of the industry, everyone who's good, and everyone who works hard, and everyone who applies themselves, will get the results that they're looking for. And there is an equal sense of um, results to hard work, a ratio that is what we would all like for it to be like. And unfortunately, Captain America is not in charge. Loki's in charge. <laughs> I wish that Captain America would be in charge, because then everything would make sense. It would seem fair. It would seem equal. Everyone would get um, outcome that was based on the work that they put in. Um, but but chaos is in charge, and and the market is capricious, and it is not predictable. and. The, the people who tell us things like, well, if you would just work harder, embedded in that advice, the expectation that for everyone, hard work equals results. So when we have the, that expectation, almost always, that's the expectation that's going to lead us into burnout. Because believing that at the core of our being is what makes us work harder in order to get better results. And or do more in order to get more results. And so if we believe that that is true, ultimately it's going to burn us out unless we happen to be in that 1% to 3% of people who for whom that is true in this industry. And it's a very small percentage of people for whom that is true.
1: Chaos is in charge is such a good quote. I think I'm going to remember that one. I feel like things are not going right. It's like, it's fine. It's not me. Chaos is in charge. You know, to post that thing <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yes.
2: <laughs> like, thanks, Loki. I say that all the <laughs> time. I'm always like, thanks, Loki, because it feels like when I have a, a, a release, for instance, that I've worked really hard on, and I've done everything I can possibly do, and it doesn't go the way that I anticipate, the more that I expect that it should have gone the way I anticipate, the more stress I'm under, the more the the amount of energy that I have to put forward to get the same result out of myself changes, right? Like I have to put a higher and higher and higher level of energy into the work in order to get a lower result. And eventually that disconnect is going to burn me out. And that's why like you had mentioned seeing so many people who were in or were headed into or have experienced burnout. That's why because loki's in charge and we all want loki not to be in charge so our expectations are based on someone else being in charge of the industry and then the more we wish that to be true the more we act as though that's true the more likely we are to burn out
1: that makes sense so you touched on it briefly there regarding some of the things that can lead to burnout have you noticed patterns in terms of the biggest triggers that cause writers to get into that burnout phase yeah so the, that that uh, disparity in expectation,
2: like me expecting that if I just work harder or if I just do more that I will get better results, that first of all is the biggest one. The second largest, treating my expectations for how I should work, for how I, um, how I should write, how fast I should write, how I should switch genres or not, how I should write and work, treating all of that, those expectations as though they're not relevant to who I am as a person. Like if we expect something from ourselves just because someone else was able to do it, so someone else is able to write 10,000 words a day, and therefore I expect myself to be able to write 10,000 words a day. Like those are the biggest causes of burnout. And again, it's not the fault of the person who writes 10,000 words a day they're doing exactly what they should be doing. They are aligned with themselves. But so many of us have this expectation that, uh, th- which is faulty, that I can do whatever I want. Like I if I want it bad enough, I can do it. If I want to write 10,000 words a day bad enough, I will be able to do it. That expectation causes more burnout than anything I have experienced yet in the writing industry.
1: That's so interesting. We, I know myself, I've been guilty of comparing to other people. And there's a quote we use quite often, which is, comparing your beginning to someone else's middle kind of thing. And I definitely am guilty of that because I'm, as you may know, I'm just writing my first book now, but it's very easy to be comparing myself to people all the time. And like, I'm writing this book and I'm like, oh, but I'll read a different book, which is an author who's written like 20 books. I'm like, mine's not as good as this. (laughs) It's it's so unfair on myself. Like I shouldn't do it, but I can't help it sometimes.
2: (laughs) Right. Especially because when we are first looking at other successful people i think we assume that the way to become more successful is to adopt the tactics of that successful person as opposed to if you were to look at the breadth of every single successful writer out there um, and to see just how many different paths there are to success how many different ways you could potentially be successful that acknowledging that there's someone else other than that person you're comparing yourself to that you could be comparing yourself to that would be helpful. So for instance, the um, not just like comparing myself to someone else who's on their first book, but also comparing myself to someone who has a similar process that I do where my brain works similarly to how their brain works so that I can look at like what would be a successful next step for me in my, in my career rather than just saying like well what I'm doing right now sucks well right but you know pick your favorite writer They're, what they were doing at one point in their career sucked as well but how did they get to that next step the next place in their journey
0: yeah we often forget about the messy parts and that person further on in their career made all those mistakes at the start You know, maybe they're still making the mistakes. You know, having several books in your arsenal does not make you immune from making mistakes or burning out or, you know, just running out of ideas or not wanting to write anymore, falling out of love with writing. You know, no one is immune from those things. Yep, exactly. When it comes to a writer's actual mental health, what are the biggest misconceptions you see about that? Almost always the biggest misconception
2: is that nothing else matters to my writing. So, like, I can be going through a divorce. I can be going through a death of someone close to me um, or someone in my household who's ill. I can be going through a cross country or cross uh, cross world move or um, someone I love or know could be in crisis or the world could be in crisis. And none of that should affect my mental health. Like my mental health does not matter to my writing is the biggest misconception um, that I think people have. And some of that is because um, we do see evidence of people being able to compartmentalize in certain areas or like each person might have a way that they could compartmentalize. But generally speaking, I see that mental health matters so much to our capacity to write almost to the point where like, I just did a coaching call with somebody yesterday where um, we were looking back over her two year burnout process that she's been in. um, And we were like, Oh, here was where I switched my medication. Here was where I started doing, you know, this particular type of health thing here was where I changed this environmental part. And all of a sudden at each level, we would see that, that her, Ability to cope and write went up significantly each time she addressed one of those things. And because we had this full two-year look back, we were able to really identify like, oh, there's where that happened. And oh, here's where my word count was. And here's where my mental health was. And here's how all of that shifted. And and I was telling her in this um, retrospective, I guess, that we were doing, right? I was like, people don't understand when they're going through that, though how much of a difference it would make to go after stability, instead of going after higher word counts, because this fixing the stability is actually what will fix the word count or fixing my health, especially if it has to do with cognitive health or biological health, like if I'm going through, just to name a few, um, menopause, if I'm going through um, some kind of a biological change in my hormones, pregnancy is a big one, right? If I'm going through um, health concerns or moves, something that will shift my environmental stability, we often try to ignore those things, because we're told we should be able to compartmentalize. And instead, what I see is, you know, we, we should have addressed the stability in that moment, and gone after stability more aggressively. So that we could get you to a mental health place where you were able to get your creativity back because creativity on Maslow's hierarchy is a higher level function. And we often don't think about the importance of what it means that Maslow's hierarchy has to be handled one step at a time, like you have to handle your physiological needs first and your biological needs first before you can access those higher levels of function.
0: It's funny you should mention stuff about health and environmental factors. Um, I don't know if you've seen over there. We've had some pretty ridiculous weather over here in the UK. You know, we've had droughts, we've had floods. We've had 40 degree weather with no air conditioning. I've barely written for like the past six weeks. I've barely even opened anything because 40 degrees. Yeah, with no AC. I I don't know how y'all are doing it luckily it was only two days i mean it was two days of hell um but then the weather kind of kept sticking around like the mid-30s and i was quite severely dehydrated in that time as well so you can imagine what that did to my ability to think and move
2: dehydration affects our brain on such a huge level and like yeah and people just don't think about stuff like that yeah
0: No, and it's little things like, okay, yeah, maybe you've increased how much you're drinking, but have you increased your salt intake so that you can absorb that water? Are you thinking about that? You know, maybe you've got chronic fatigue syndrome like me. Are you taking a multivitamin to make sure that it is making a difference? Because multivitamins are one of the things that has been proven to make a difference to chronic fatigue syndrome, whereas 90% of other things don't work. You know, are you doing that research to be a participant in your own healthcare rather than just a passive patient being fed how to look after yourself, right? Or thinking that
2: it doesn't matter. I had a client who uh, started doing B twelve shots, and the the difference in her cognitive capacity was so significant that she was able to show me where the difference was, and I was uh, like on her word count, and I was like, that. I mean just the difference between like balancing your biology, I'm not saying everyone should do B12 shots, right? Like this is not medical advice. What I'm saying is basically what you just said, which is, if you don't actively go after the things that are impairing your health, sometimes that alone could cause burnout, because it's causing again, the imbalance between your expectation of what you should be able to do and what you're able to do. And the the, the imbalance between those two things are is eventually going to cause burnout.
0: Yeah, my boyfriend has actually um, invested in getting a private blood test from a company called Thriver because the NHS won't cover him to have one because he's too seemingly healthy, mm. but he wants to take those preventative measures. And based on what you just said, and talking to him. I'm like, "Hey, may not cover me just to do it for brain fog because of my fibro diagnosis but maybe it's not my fibro that exacerbates it you know i don't eat enough meat or get enough b vitamins could it be that i know that's a factor could it be vitamin d i know that's a factor you know there are so many things that can impact our ability to think clearly and just because you have got a diagnosis of one thing that doesn't mean it's not actually a compounding of factors that are just making you feel progressively worse and worse particularly if you've got multiple health conditions
2: right, multiple health conditions, or you're not monitoring things like water intake. And like you said, vitamin D and vitamin B12, like just little things that we wouldn't consider all the time to go after. It's like, have you dealt with the baseline questions of am I balanced? Am I eating enough water or drinking enough water? Am I eating foods that are getting me all of the vitamins and minerals that I need in order for my body to function as best. It's amazing the difference that some of those biological factors make. Like we do this interesting experiment every once in a while where we're like, okay, everybody just start drinking two glasses of water when you wake up. Like that's all we're going to try to do for a while and just see what the difference is and how you feel. And it's like two weeks later, everybody's less tired like everybody's feeling better and we're like the, the just drinking enough water every day is such a big difference maker and, and most of us are not are not drinking enough water consistently like that it would make a big difference
0: the main thing that's really making the difference to me is getting out of bed dragging my ass out of bed let's be serious i don't want to do it and exercising the more yeah. i get my heart rate up first thing in the morning usually boxing to get some aggression out sometimes a bit of dance the better I feel for the rest of the day and the more I can do and I'm less tired. And I I don't necessarily enjoy exercise, although I enjoy imaginary shadow, but like shadow boxing for imaginary things. But it makes such a difference. It really does.
1: Just going back to burnout then, when someone is heading towards burnout, is there a point that they can bounce back from the sort of precipice? Or is it at that point just inevitable? There's no turning back? Oh, yeah, I think you can always bounce back. But, but the
2: changes that you often have to make are so significant that most of us don't want to do that, right? Like, So I'll just give a couple of examples. Um, one is we often see people are headed towards burnout when they are counting on a future payout of something in order to make all of the work that they've been doing worth it. And then when you count on that future payout happening, if it doesn't happen, it creates such a significant, not not depression medically, but like a depressive feeling, right? Like a frustration, anger, sadness feeling that that triggers other things, right? Like it makes us want to work harder and whatever. So it's almost always systemic. Um, another way that we often see burnout is the expectation that I'm never going to have to pay the consequences for my health decisions. So we are definitely wired to be um, feast and famine as humans. So like you can absolutely binge write where you're binge writing you know, for a couple of weeks and not getting a ton of sleep. And then you start sleeping again. We call it phoenixing. Right where you work really hot, and then you recover for a while, and then you work really hot, and then you recover. But if you're not allowing yourself those recovery periods when you're phoenixing, there's only a short amount of time that you can do that. So to Ellie's point, uh, or to Ellie's question. If I am not willing to change the fact that I'm not allowing myself recovery, which might mean that I have to slow down production or slow down, slow down my release schedule or change my expectations about the income that I'm making or those types of things. That's often why we see burnout happen is because the things we would have to change or give up are things that we are not prepared to give up in that moment. And then burnout makes us ask the question, do I want to go back to that? Or am I willing to like change my expectations, which might often mean things like getting a second job or going back to a day job that I had previously quit or asking my parents for money or asking my spouse to carry or partner to carry the majority of the finances for the household for some time. Like Those are all very, very painful discussions to have. And they aren't always things that we want to do preventatively. Sometimes they have to be uh, reactionary. And so I would say, is it possible to stave it off? Absolutely. Is it likely to happen? Um, It's very rare. And usually the reason it happens is because they've been through major burnout before and they don't want to go through it again.
1: I suppose part of it must be what you said before about being able to step back and reflect on the situation and notice what you're doing and notice the patterns and notice what you're not getting and not giving yourself enough of.
2: Yeah. Yes. That is a huge piece of it. And I think another huge part is what we believe is true about the industry um, is instinctively wrong Like, we believe that we have to make the money now or we're never going to be able to make it. Because, of course, during the gold rush, like, you know, 2009 to 2016, 17, 18, um, during the gold rush, that was absolutely true. Like, people were coming in, doing very little, making, in terms of, like, not doing all of the giant marketing campaigns and all of the, like, it was much, much easier to just write a book and release it and make money during the gold rush. And so there was this feeling of like, as quickly as possible, let's make as much money as we can, because soon the gold rush will be over. Well, yes, absolutely. That was true. But now the gold rush is over. And now it is an established industry that we live in and work in, which means that the money's not going anywhere. The money's always going to be accessible. You do not have to make it right now in order to be able to make it. That's gold rush mentality. So now that we are officially into the established industry of indie publishing, that means that there's always going to be room. Like there's always room in terms of like, it's always possible to break into a new genre, even if it's saturated, it's always possible. But then that means that it's more and more likely that you're going to have to maintain the way that you're doing it. So, you so it really needs to be sustainable because gold rush is about speed and quickness, and established industry is about sustainability.
0: Say someone is going through burnout, what would be the worst possible thing for them to do in that moment?
2: Oh, that's such a good question. I'd have to think about that. Um, because usually when you hit the absolute bottom of the pit, like the bottom, bottom, bottom you can't do anything. Like you often when you go through real, real burnout, your body and system will automatically force you to not be able to work anymore. Um, And so there's often even if you wanted to make the choice to try to continue keeping the speed up that you were at, you often won't be able to do that. I I very rarely see someone who does this, because usually, they adjust, because they realize that something made them get here and they have to adjust something but I would say not adjusting to reality would be the worst possible thing you could do because then you'll just hang out in the pit for forever like you'll just keep kind of making enough energy for yourself to jump out just a little bit and then you'll end up right back there again and then you'll come out a little bit and end up right back there again so like I have seen usually not people that I know personally, but I have observed people basically hanging out somewhere around the bottom of the pit for a long time, because they're just not willing to readjust themselves in whatever way it would take readjusting. Because sometimes it isn't slowing down the pace of release. Sometimes it's bringing on help or you know um, hiring other people to give assistance when you need it or Um, getting a part-time job to defer some of the pressure of the finances so that you can continue to do the releasing and writing. Um, But yeah, I would say not adjusting is the biggest mistake that people could make. But I rarely, rarely see people
1: do that. Well, I'm glad to hear you don't see people doing that very often, at least.
2: (laughs) Most of it is because they can't. Like, burnout is so... It's so biological that they're usually just not able... And it's never something they're happy about. But they're usually just not able to continue, especially from a creative perspective. Like we will sometimes see teachers being burnt out and continuing to teach and continuing to teach for you know decades after they've burned out and just staying in that burnout place because they can't do anything else professionally. They've committed to wanting to do that job. But with writers, we don't tend to see that because you have to have creative access in order to produce the work that we do. And usually burnout shuts off the access to your creativity.
1: That makes sense. What would you say then is, is one thing that you wish every writer knew about burnout?
2: Oh, <laughs> OK, so <laughs> this is going to sound this is going to sound weird to some of us, but we uh, like weird burnout, here. We're, we're all about weird, weird here. Yeah. I'm glad it. you like weird. Burnout is so different for every single person that you can't really look at what someone else has done as a way of identifying for yourself what should happen. And so often the way to respond to burnout is something that's instinctive and intuitive to you. And if you would just listen to what your body and your system are telling you to do, that you would recover from it. It's just that a lot of us are looking for like, but how quickly can I get out of this? Like, how quickly can I get out of this? And I'm like, oh no, like for some of us, it, it will take years to get out of burnout. For some of us, it will be very short, right? Like I've seen people get out of burnout in three to six months and I've seen it take three to five years. Um, There's no
1: magic pill, is there? People want no, that magic pill to just be like, things. fix me. I want to be fixed yeah. now.
2: <laughs> yeah, they do. And, I, but I would say also that's part of what got you here, right? Like in terms of like what got us into burnout, is that we were looking for the magic pill to give us all the success that we want with none of the pain. And so we took shortcuts that would get us to that place. And now we're paying the consequences for that. So I would say like one of the most important things we can do as we look at coming out of burnout is stop expecting that there's going to be a way to do this job that doesn't hurt, or that isn't painful, or that isn't on some level, there are things that we just don't like or don't want to do or are frustrated by. Like, that's normal. That's just living. That's human life.
0: Yeah, I've had discussions with some of my older friends about burnout. And I know their experiences were vastly different to mine. But it was that whole, they couldn't function. Like, they struggled to reply to a message, you know, when I texted them. And like, I know for me, I realized I was in burnout again last year. And I I couldn't articulate a sentence. I couldn't speak. And I was just crying. I remember just standing in the kitchen with my boyfriend trying to answer his question and I just fell apart. My brain completely shut down. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. But that was kind of a pivotal moment for me at the same time. And I was like, I've got to change my priorities. I can't keep going on like this.
2: And that's the best sentence you could ever have uttered in terms of like, how do you respond to burnout is because that's what gets us there is the priority of behavior or of where our energy goes to is so different from what it should be that we have to change something systematically about ourselves not just like so the the there was an article that went around not long ago um about like you can't self-care your way out of burnout um and there was a part of me that was like wait 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 don't like don't say something like that because we do need a lot of self-care to repair from burnout but the core of the article was like, you can't just work yourself to the bone and then take a bath on the weekend and expect that you're going to be okay, right? Which I, I do agree with the concept there. Um, but also usually the reason we burn out is because we're de-preferencing the care of ourselves, including sometimes like the comment that you made about um, about your boyfriend wanting to go and get this test for preventative measures. I was like, yes, that's perfect self-care example most of us don't like doctors, most of us don't like blood tests. And I mean, doctors as humans are fine. But like, we don't like attending medical (laughs) appointments, right? Um, uh, We love you doctors, you're great. Um, But, but that pain is self care, like me going to the doctor to find out what's wrong with my body when it's not functioning the way that it could is self care in the same way that taking a bath on the weekend is self care me setting boundaries with my parents, or my sisters, or my brothers, or children, that is self care, like all of those things are um, helping us to have a sustainable life and career, anything that builds sustainability is ultimately self care. And that is how we get out of burnout. But then sometimes that means, like you said, changing my priorities, or, or reprioritizing something that has been forgotten.
0: One thing that I found that really helps that I actually felt guilty for until I read your book on burnout was that I watch a lot of TV and Mm -hmm. I always felt guilty for it. Like I'm more of a TV watcher than I am a book reader. I love books, but TV is what I learned to write and read, learned to read from Mm -hmm. watching TV. What am I saying? I understood storytelling and characterization and dialogue from watching TV, not from reading books because I struggled to concentrate reading a book growing up. And now... Like, I read your book and you talk about how some authors recharge their creative batteries from things like watching TV or playing games. And I just, it was like a light bulb moment. It's like, actually, no, the fact that I do some editing or I do some writing and take a break and watch an episode of a TV show is a good thing. It's not inherently making me a bad person. I'm self-employed. I can work whatever hours I want. That's literally why I'm self-employed. So why am I making myself feel guilty or trying to punish myself with traditional hours? when actually what I've been doing all along is better for me.
2: Yes, exactly. I, I love that you put it that way also, because so often our intuition is actually the right answer. And instead we go looking outside of ourselves. We're like, well, wait, but what, what do the experts say that I should do? And I'm like, well, the experts don't live in your house. So their opinion doesn't matter. Like if I don't care if the literal, like, president of the world that there was such a thing was like, you shouldn't be watching television. I'd be like, well, wait a minute, though. 5,000 interviews with authors say different, sir, or ma'am. And I apologize, but you're wrong. Like, because I have actually seen it be generative for people and not just They feel better when they do it, but they become more creative as a result. They understand things better. They learn from television. Like there may be people who are visual and auditory learners that are really only going to process when they see something live in front of them in a way that they wouldn't if they were trying to assimilate words into their brain. That has nothing to do with whether or not they could be a good writer. Like plenty of people who are good writers watch a lot of television. But for some reason, we have this expectation that the morally good answer is no, you should work eight hours a day. And then Becca comes along and is like, wait, why should we work eight hours a day? Because some industrialist capitalist person in the 18th, 1800s 19th century decided that eight hours a day was the correct number of hours for you to spend working. Why? Because it's the best for you? No, They would rather that you work 16 hours a day and sleep eight hours a day. But if you work 16 hours a day, who's going to buy the cars that you're working on? No one. So they make you work only eight hours a day. So you have eight hours to be a consumer and then eight hours becomes the preferred amount of work that they want you to do. And we don't realize that every every choice that we think we're supposed to make is based on a system that somebody else just decided this is the way we should do it. It's not actually based on truth or logic or any, and I mean every rule that we think is correct. Rules like writers write or don't edit as you go or any of these things, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Those are all mythology for more than half of the population. But instead of questioning the repetition of the advice, we instead question ourselves, well, if I'm not writing every day, I clearly there must be something wrong with me. So let me change my behavior to fit the standard instead of but the standards wrong, like the standard does not apply. So again, I know this is me getting preachy about this, but it just frustrates me so much that, that we question ourselves first, when so often our own intuition about how we should be functioning is actually correct. And it will help us produce better work, but we won't let ourselves do it because somebody told us we should do whatever the thing is, right? Work eight hours a day, don't watch television, blah, 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 whatever it is.
0: I think it ties back into what we talked about earlier about being a participant rather than just taking everything passively because yes okay we can say xyz piece of writing advice but you've got to understand the reasoning behind it because for some people some of that advice is going to be great and for other people it's going to be so much work that it's going to make their head explode like I outline my books in quite a bit of depth now but if I did that six years ago I would have been a crying mess on the floor like you know i have changed as a person and what i need from my writing system has changed and i think it's also important to remember that you will change and your processes will change as well what you need from your books what your books need from you how you work how you think and also covid just threw everything up in the air and completely changed yeah. everything for everyone because it was like almost yep. a worldwide period of mourning mourning yep. past lives that are never going to be the same again and we're still adjusting now
2: Yeah. uh The pandemic on its own for most of us was a big enough life change event that I think we need to be questioning what we used to believe about a lot of things um, and what might be different for us now. And the other piece too, and this is a sort of unpopular thing to talk about, but those of us who have had COVID, there's so much evidence that COVID changes something biologically about your body. Like the number of people I've coached who have cognitive change, like still years after having COVID, I had COVID almost two years ago, and I'm not the same person I was before I had it. Even just things like, are there adjustments that I need to make to my life based on uh, I had a an illness or I had something that biologically changed me or I had children, or I got married or divorced, or like, there's all these things that could so fundamentally change the environment that we live in, which affects everything that we do. Um, and then the, the big piece for me is knowing what's changeable and what isn't. Like knowing what parts of you are, are possible to change and what aren't, like, what can I release an expectation that I'm holding of myself? And then what can I potentially work on? Uh, And I do think asking those questions are so important. And again, I come back to like our intuition is just so honed and so many of us need to just listen to the intuitive thing that our brain is telling us we need and stop listening to like what some other person is telling us we should be doing.
0: If someone is in the midst of burnout, what are your top tips for them to heal from that and Also prevent it from happening again, because most of the people I know who have burnt out, it never happens just once.
2: Yeah, that's so true. Um, I go back and forth on whether I think that um, that we should be concerned with burning out more than once, because I do think that some of us have that there are some expectations that we hold about our life and about what it means to work hard that I just think are always going to cause us to burn out on some level. Um, and I'm one of those people. Again, the Phoenix sort of, you know, archetype is definitely how I function. And so I would say that if you are currently in the midst of burnout or on the precipice of burnout, I would look hard at what got you there. Are there expectations that you have that you are not willing to change that continue to drive you into burnout over and over again? And the hard part is that some of those expectations will need either therapy or like real internal cognitive work about like your own self-awareness work. And that's the thing that, um, takes time and doesn't always appear to have a payoff. But again, like I use the example of the client that I was just coaching where we were looking back at her two years, you know, of burnout, um, recovery that she was going through. And I was like, you never want to go through that again, do you? And she was like, no. And I'm like, well, look at all the things that you've changed in these like step ups, like how you changed your expectations. And I'm like, if you hold to that new version of yourself, there's less of a chance that you're ever going to go through something like this again. Um, But the other piece too, is I do think self care is very, very important. And not all self care looks like eating chocolate, And, you know, going to sleep, like uh, some self care is, should this person be in my life anymore? Should I continue to participate in this community? Should I keep being holding this particular expectation of myself? Are my expectations good for me? Are they producing good things? Um, You know, those those types of kind of bigger picture questions, I think are the ones we don't often want to ask, but they're almost always the deciders in terms of how badly am I going to burn out again?
1: We do have one very important question for you—the most important question of the whole podcast—which is, uh, which one book changed your life?
2: Ooh, probably Flow, the book Flow by Mihai and Mihai. And if any of you haven't heard, uh, I, I'm not—I'm not sure how to spell his name ever well, um, but I will—I will. Uh, I will say if you search for flow and then m-i-h-a-l-y is his first name mihai um but this book so until i read flow i don't think i really understood the importance of challenge in my life because i think so many of us are um pain averse and i'm a very pain averse person I would like to have as little pain as humanly possible in my life. And most of us are like that, but there's good pain and bad pain. And I don't think I really understood good pain and bad pain until I read the book flow and understanding that, um, when you have good pain and you're, you're, and it's coming from that challenge level, your capacity to do good work, uh, what, however you define that is directly related to the level of challenge that you're presenting yourself with so you will always rise to the challenge if you present yourself um, with challenges that you're able to rise to rather than let me do only the least that i need to do right like all just the the least amount of pain possible um so understanding the difference between good pain and bad pain um, was probably the most defining aspect of mine. I read that book early. I think I was twenty four or twenty five when I read that, and it really, it really changed my
1: life.
0: That reminds me. I did watch his TED talk on that, um, mm. and that made me realize, oh, that's how I wrote my first book so fast. I like, I didn't mm. know it was a thing until after, um, mm-hmm. because, like you say, you got perfect, into flow state. Yeah, it was that perfect balance of. Um, challenge and enjoyment and that's how I got into flow and that's how I was working on it so quickly and then there have been other books um that I've been able to do reach a state of flow more easily as well for different reasons like when I changed genres it was easier because I was in that kind of avenue again and I think it is important to think about the fact it's not just about word count. That's not the only way to challenge yourself as a writer. There are other ways to do it. Like when I first started outlining, that was a new way for me to do it. And I often got into a state of flow doing the outline. Or like when I tried to write my reader magnet using that outline and I, you know, created the reader magnet in about a week because I... um, got into that state of flow when I was writing it and when I was editing it and I enjoyed the whole thing but also it was different enough that I got that flow and I got that dopamine and it made me feel very accomplished
2: yeah that new and different need as a personality trait when you have that type of personality where you will be more engaged if you do something new there are so many writers that have that and they don't take it Ser- as seriously as I would like to see them take it because we're so encouraged to like just rinse, lather, repeat, do the same thing over and over, never change anything. Once you get to the place where things are working, that's the way it should be forever. But there are so many of us who have this need for new and different, and I have many of those personality traits. So if I'm not constantly presenting myself with new opportunities to learn or an opportunity to try something I've never tried before, I will slow down and I will become less productive. Even if I'm doing something that quote unquote will make me less productive, like switching to a new genre or switching between series or traveling or doing like learning a new skill, I don't take into account how much I need to do those things in order to maintain my capacity to work. Um, And I really wish that more writers who had that new and different need would take that very seriously.
0: I just had an epiphany. Hmm. Now I know why my fantasy is easier to write mm-hmm. because um I kind of dug myself into a bit of a hole with my first two series. I knew exactly how both series were going to end, but like, you know, there's like 14 books in the universe so far. I've got more planned and stuff. And, you know, because of that point, it does start to feel a little bit less challenging being completely honest whereas with my fantasy i intentionally structured it so that i had more freedom and you know it's just less limiting because I called it afterlife yep. cause I didn't put the word ghost in the title so I can play with the afterlife in a much more versatile way and it gives yep. me that creative freedom to play with different ghost tropes to play with different horror tropes if I want to do something a bit more action if I want to do something a bit more litfic, if I want to do something a bit more spooky my readers have come to expect that because there's four books in the series and they yep. are all slightly different but also all slightly the same
2: yep yep like that level of challenge that you make for yourself if you have a personality like that is going to make you faster and better and you know what I mean like that that ability to know exactly what you need and then give yourself exactly what you need no matter what anybody else thinks is literally the best skill that any of us could ever develop as writers there is no better skill because that's what will keep us continuing to rise to the challenge and rise to the challenge and rise to the challenge in a way that will never happen if all we do is follow someone else's advice all the time.
0: I don't know about an 810 podcast on that. Do you, Ellie? That's perfect. I love (laughs) it. Where can our lovely writers go if they want to find out more about you and your coaching, the quick cast, the quick books, etc.?
2: So I would go to our YouTube channel, the QuickCast and uh, the QuickCast for Writers, and I would watch those videos. Because if this is the first time you're hearing about me or the work that I do, I always say the best way to determine if what we do is for you is to watch a bunch of the videos and see if it resonates. Because like everything, nothing resonates with everyone. And so I would hate to see people just like immediately purchase a book or buy a class or something if they're eventually not going to resonate with what we do. So we have a ton of free videos on the YouTube channel. Um, Go and watch those. And if something sparks, you know, something that you want to work out, burnout, we have a lot of burnout resources there. We have a whole um, series of videos just on intuitive writing. We obviously have a lot of resources on personality stuff. Um, We do a ton of that. Um, And then we have some very niche like planning and, things like that, some really small series that are on very specific topics. So there's an awful lot of information there and that's probably where I would start.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. I feel like I've had about three epiphanies in the last hour. So hopefully it's inspired <laughs> other authors too.
1: If you found this episode interesting or helpful, make sure you subscribe to The Writer's Mindset on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform or all of them, we don't mind
0: everything from a like to a rating to a review to a subscribe to shouting about us on social media helps us to reach more writers so that they can overcome the mindset issues that are holding them back with their writing too
1: if you're on social media come join us on instagram at writers mindset pod or join our facebook group which you can find by searching for the writers mindset
0: and don't forget to come join us over on patreon for our bonus series healthy habits
1: see you next time
0: keep writing